This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I've been doing therapy here for about 26 years now. And a couple of years ago, I decided to extend the walls of my practice so that I could reach out to many of you who've already been interested in psychological and emotional issues, may actually already be in therapy, and it might be helpful to hear another therapist's perspective on issues. Also, for those of you looking for information because you've just been diagnosed with depression or bipolar disorder or anxiety, or maybe you're having a relationship problem that you just can't quite understand and fix. And then there's that third group, those of you who might listen to a podcast but would really never darken the door of a therapist. I wanted to give you some food for thought as well. Or perhaps you're not in any of those groups, but welcome to self-work. Today we're going to be talking about disorders that may affect your kid's body image. So today's an episode focused on parenting. And of course, when you're talking about body image in our culture, we're also talking about self-esteem. This is for both moms and dads. The research out there is reminding all of us that this can be a serious problem for our children. There are three major disorders that can give lots of confusing messages. Anorexia what's called orthorexia, and exercise addiction. There's a lot of info here, so hold on tight, and we'll go through all of it. I don't include obesity here. I don't keep up with that research. I know it is a huge field in and of itself. And of course, those kinds of behaviors with food, overeating, not seeing food at all as nutrition, or simply being so strapped financially or time-wise, that you end up eating fast food more with your kids than anything else. And maybe I'll do another episode on that, but I would have to really look at the research carefully, whereas I have many more people with these kinds of disorders that come in my office door. Then I'll offer seven vital lessons or steps that you can take as a parent to help prevent these disorders from happening. Our listener email is from a woman who emotionally broke down at work and didn't understand what could possibly be happening, and she's mortified that it had happened at all. So today we're talking about anorexia, orthorexia, and exercise addiction, and that if you struggle with any of that, how it can affect your child. Sometimes something hits a nerve. And a few years ago, there was a Dove commercial that caught my attention. I'm going to actually embed the Dove video into the show notes, so you might go take a look at it there. But what Dove was talking about, how mothers might unintentionally give painful body image messages to their daughters. And it really shocked me. The subject of the video was moms talking about what they liked or disliked about their own bodies, while stating with assurance that they'd only taught their daughters positive messages about their own. The daughters interviewed separately were asked the same questions, and they wrote down their answers. The result, when the daughters showed their mothers what they had written, the daughters mirrored their mother's criticism of her body almost exactly. If mom didn't like her nose, daughter didn't like hers either. 
She didn't like her knees. The daughter didn't like her own knees. The mother's surprise and sadness was palpable. What they had honestly tried to prevent, they were creating in their daughters, self-consciousness and even self-loathing. The video stuck with me, and I mentioned it to many patients who were struggling with their own image. On a more personal level, this video brought back some of my own memories. I was actually incredibly relieved when I had a son. I was petrified that I would send the same messages to a daughter that had been passed down to me from my own mother, because the body image messages I got from my very loving mom were nearly all wrong. I ended struggling with anorexia. So let's talk about what anorexia is. There are two forms. There's the binge purge type. This person struggles with eating and will often purge or make themselves throw up after eating. This alleviates some kind of fear of gaining weight and offsets some of the guilt of having eaten forbidden or highly restricted food. They don't have to make themselves throw up. They could also purge by exercising excessively or abusing laxatives. I had a friend who would literally get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, every morning, and walk on her treadmill until 7. That was also purging. Then there's the restrictive kind of anorexia. This person is often perceived as highly self-disciplined. They restrict the quantity of food, calories, and often high-fat or high-sugar foods. They consume far fewer calories than are needed to maintain a healthy weight, although you will hear them say, oh, I'm just a healthy eater. This is a heartbreaking form of self-starvation. Both these classifications of anorexia reflect an irrational fear of weight gain and abnormal eating patterns. And actually, more people die from complications from anorexia than any other mental illness. I'll talk a little bit more about my own story of development of anorexia. My mother limited her eating a lot and often frequently told me that Southern ladies don't eat everything on their plate. She also said to me once, when I was 21 and I weighed 101 pounds, I was 5'4 at the time, I've shrunk. My mom said, you've never looked better. And yet I'd had double pneumonia that year, twice. I was really in trouble. And then there was another incident where my mother sat me down. After my first marriage, I had gained a whopping eight pounds, up to 120 at that time. I, and my mother sat down and said, you just have to do something about yourself. Now, my mom had never, ever confronted me, which was a problem, about some of my other behaviors, which, believe you me, were very confrontable. But it was this issue, you're out of control. So what effect did all this have on me? I developed full-blown anorexia in college. There was the 101 pounds. I didn't allow out-of-town friends to visit before I got married because I'd gained three pounds since I'd seen them. I sought diet pills in my later 20s after my conversation at the breakfast room table that left me so hyped up I felt like I was practically flying. I starved myself before trips home, knowing my body would be quietly assessed. I tried to act like none of this got to me. Now, my mom was caught in the same trapped thinking. Without a doubt, she did not mean to hurt me. She wanted me to feel attractive, have great self-esteem, and catch a man. That was the culture in which she was raised, and she knew nothing else. So how many people suffer from these eating disorders? You might be surprised to find out 
that at least 30 million people of all ages and genders suffer from an eating disorder in the United States. So let's look at two other eating disorders that are growing in prominence. They are orthorexia and excessive exercise. So what is orthorexia? It's a common co-occurring eating disorder, meaning that it can often go along with other kinds of body image and eating disorder issues. There is a fixation or desire to eat only healthy foods or to avoid entire food groups. People suffering with orthorexia have their own food preferences, foods they will eat and foods that they won't. They can feel isolated from or even superior to people who may consume the food that they themselves reject. The most common form of orthorexia is an obsession with healthy foods, never eating foods that contain additives, planning one's diet to the extreme to make sure that undesired foods and food groups aren't eaten. This, again, can look like healthy eating. Oh, oh, I don't eat cheese or, oh, I never put any salad dressing on my salad. No fats for me. And it's a huge sign that something is wrong. Let's move on to exercise addiction. A very common reflection of excessive exercise is prioritizing exercise and making it more important than anything, rather than including exercise in a balanced lifestyle. For example, if you continue to exercise when you're injured or sick, if you avoid social functions to exercise, if you adhere to a very obsessive or regimented exercise regime, all of that can be very excessive. And by the way, I have links in the show notes to all these problems. And guess what? For all three of these, anorexia, orthorexia, and excessive exercise, your kids are like little sponges. They're listening to everything you say and do. Let's not forget dads. What are children learning from their fathers these days? Boys as well as girls are bombarded with pictures of not only six-pack abs, but actors who seem to be fighting off aging with excessive exercise. Dad bods are seen as inferior. There's a term out there now, body-positive dads. And in episode 131, we discussed dads' engagement as vitally important. Body-positive dads are dads who feel good about the way they look. They talk about it appropriately. They're not obsessive about it. But they're just positive. You could have body-positive moms as well, I guess. So let's talk about some things that will help you avoid passing along any negative body image thoughts or eating disorder thinking that you might struggle with. Number one, don't discuss weight, caloric intake, your clothes getting too tight. She'll be getting those messages from friends, social media, and society at large, and you don't need to reinforce them at home. That goes for things you might consider to be positive, saying, I just dropped a gene size. Well, what does that tell her or him? So if you have one of these disorders, working on yourself is really, really important. Number two is if you do mention anything about physical attributes, find things to praise your child as in her dedication to a sport or her skill in playing the piano. Point out her strengths to her so she understands that she can be happy in the body she has. It can be as simple as asking her to get an item from a shelf that's too high for you to reach and just saying, wow, I love that you're so tall. Number three, avoid dieting and fanatical exercise. 
Healthy parents encourage activity as an enjoyable part of life, not as some form of punishment or weight control. If you work out on a regular basis, you're already showing her that exercise is valuable. And if you don't, perhaps the two of you could start taking a walk a few nights a week. Maybe take your daughter or your son with you for some quality chatting time. And take that time to discuss their dreams, their goals, what's going on with them right now. Help them develop a positive sense of self-worth that has nothing to do with the way they look. Number four is to remind them that those Instagram and YouTube celebrities that she loves spend hours on makeup and lighting and filters to present themselves as flawless. This was an interesting statistic. 20 years ago, the typical model weighed 8% less than the average woman. In 2011, she weighed 23% less. Magazine images are still so heavily edited to slenderize women and add six-pack abs to men, even though the models don't appear like themselves. Healthy parents bring to light these issues and keep sexualized, underweight, and otherwise demeaning images out of reach. Number five is to prioritize healthy food choices when possible, but don't be rigid. Let her know that sometimes a cheeseburger is going to be really what you want, and it's okay. Make sure you have plenty of grapes and fruit and vegetables around. I remember my best friend at the time, her little girl came up and said, Mommy, I want a snack, and she was about four. And my friend handed her a red bell pepper. And so after the child left, I said, a bell pepper? She said, yeah. I taught her that it was a snack. I taught her that it was something that was yummy. And that's what she wants. One of the studies that I looked at for this particular episode said that a vast majority of people who talked about what they fed their toddlers had included soda. That they give their toddlers soda instead of water or milk or even fruit juice. That's kind of astounding. Number six is perhaps not something you might consider, but tell both your boys and your girls that both genders are equal. A father's respect for women is one of the greatest gifts he can give his daughters and his children. Daughters learn what to expect from the opposite gender, and sons learn what to provide. And moms who have respect for their husbands show the same. So if you get with your girlfriends and all you do is diss your husband— and your child overhears, that's not a gift to give them. A little complaining is fine, but really, man bashing isn't going to help your son feel good about himself or his body, nor your daughter. Now remember, you can't parent perfectly either, so forgive yourself if you say something body image related that you later regret. I certainly have done that given my history, and sure enough, I heard some of it with my son. But as he gets older, he's working through that himself. And again, the most important, and I mentioned it before, but if you have an eating disorder, if you have anorexia, orthorexia, or exercise addiction, please seek treatment and be open about it with your kids. Let them know that your own thinking and behavior aren't healthy and model for them that it's okay to ask for help. You know, after my mom died, many people would say to me, Your mother was so beautiful, always so well-dressed. Unfortunately, she never knew that about herself. You might be interested in hearing about the remains of my own anorexia. I certainly eat very healthfully now, 
But the eating disorder thinking sticks with me. I'll be picking toppings off pizza and explain to people, oh, you know, I don't like crust, and that's really not true. If I receive a compliment, thank you comes out of my mouth. But inside, I think, ah, if you could really see me, you probably wouldn't say that. When I see a picture of myself, the first thing I search out is if the little roll around my waist shows. If it does, I have to fight shame. And in that moment, I feel unacceptable. I've gotten better at saying, now, come on, Margaret. Come on. I confront those voices that are telling me I'm not acceptable and not valuable. I actively replace those thoughts. And so I'm winning this particular battle. One meal, one picture, and one compliment at a time. So I'm lucky. But many are not, and they remain miserable and obsessive about their body. No thin is too thin for them. And remember, anorexia kills more people in the United States than any other mental disorder, more than depression. It can govern your life. So here's our listener email for today. I must have written and rewritten this about half a dozen times. I've stumbled upon your podcast, something a lot of people say they stumble on my podcast, when I felt that I needed some positivity in my morning commute as I braced myself for another day. I can't tell you how much I've appreciated your insight and advice. Listening to you, I know that you love what you do and that you have a true passion for helping others find their way. So she thanks me. Now to the nitty-gritty. I'm a wife to a wonderful husband and mother to a beautiful and smart toddler. I've struggled with anxiety in the past and have seen two different therapists years ago, but I felt that neither was effective in helping. I figured, well, I've made it this long. Maybe I can just deal with it on my own. After the birth of my child, I felt that my emotions had been spiraling out of control. I've been able to manage my anxiety, but from time to time, I feel a panic attack coming, and I quickly try to distract myself with something else. Maybe it's the stress of a new promotion or the fact that my boss and I don't see eye to eye, but I find myself absolutely dreading just walking into work. Much of our future plan rests on the job that I have now, and I hold myself to very high standards. I have a lot riding on my shoulders. For the last few months, I'll find myself crying over the silliest things, and then it ends up being a long crying session that I justify. Well, I just need to cry it out sort of thing. But today was a breaking point. At work, I broke down in tears uncontrollably and could not stop. I was mortified. And my boss kept saying, why in the hell are you crying? And 30 minutes of tears passed and there was no sign of stopping. She's still very confused at the situation. Just told me I shouldn't cry and that I don't have to worry about my job. I thanked her and walked away from the office. I'm at a loss. I feel like I don't even know what kind of advice to ask for. I've thought about going back to therapy, but due to previous experiences, I feel some reservation. Is there anything that you can suggest as to what can I do if therapy is not the next step? I can't face my boss again, and I'm horrified as to what that crying spell could have done to my future in the company. So, what was my advice? This is a fairly complicated situation. First, I thank her for her kind words. I'm glad you've written because you have some serious things going on and it sounds as if it's time for you to invest in more self-care. First, it's important that your anxiety worsened after childbirth and you may have postpartum depression, which can last much longer than many people believe. If you're a responsible parent, anxiety does tend to go up normally when you become a parent, but not to this extent. 
Some women believe if they have no trouble attaching to their infant or loving them, they couldn't have postpartum depression, but that's not accurate. Second, you feel this immense pressure and sound as if you feel trapped by what you do. Responsibility and maybe even perfectionism may be putting so much stress on you that you're emotionally breaking down. Or there could be something in your past that you've never recognized as important that you need to address its present impact. Something about becoming a mom or this current job is pulling at you unconsciously and triggering some old trauma. Third, I certainly hear that your boss's first reaction was for you to get a grip. And I understand your embarrassment. But being ashamed and maybe even worrying about the long-term effects isn't helpful right now. Nelson Mandela said once, and I'll quote him horribly, Don't admire me for what I've done. Admire me for the times I've fallen down and gotten back up again. But what you have control over now is how you're going to handle things currently. Something's got to give, it sounds like to me. Either you need to find a way to decrease or change your work, your husband needs to step up financially, or you need to put the pressure off of yourself to buy a house, which she suggested to me, and I didn't include you all in that. I can think of lots of ideas, but I definitely believe that you need to go to a therapist as soon as you can. You may have to ask around for someone who has the reputation for not just listening, but engaging you fully in an action plan of sorts. Or if he or she doesn't do that from the very beginning, look for someone else. Please advocate for yourself like you would someone else. My work on Perfectly Hidden Depression may help you as well, which you can read on my website or listen to the podcast. The first ones are episode three and four, and then they're interspersed throughout. She wrote me back. What a beautiful start to my day. I know you've mentioned in your podcast that you respond to every email, but I didn't expect such a quick response. Thank you so much for taking the time to read my email and respond with your professional insight. I've listened to your podcast about perfectly hidden depression, and I definitely feel like I can identify. I feel almost unworthy of saying that I'm depressed. Maybe I needed an outside party to tell me that I could seek help because I couldn't justify it on my own. And then she says some other things. Then she says, you've truly made my day, which, of course, all of you make my day every day (laughs) by listening, by being a part of self-work. So I'm glad that I could be helpful. As I said a few minutes ago, you make my day by being here. Thank you so much. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and you can go there and subscribe, and you'll receive a weekly newsletter with my blog post and podcast for the week. Nothing else. I'd love it if you'd leave a written review anywhere you listen that gives me specific information about what you like and what you don't like. And I've started a closed Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. I'd love to have you over there. I go and come, but I try to answer there as many questions as I can as well. But the feedback from everybody else is just as important. We all have our own wisdom. Again, thank you for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.